Hey, this is Kevin from Kevin's Barbecue Joints, and welcome to the Kevin's Barbecue Joints Podcast. And this is 21 Questions with Jess Pryles from Hardcore Carnivore. Good morning, Jess. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. Nice to be here. How have these last, because we haven't talked in a, in a few years, you've been busy. How have these last few years been? I know. Um, busy and thankful for it. It's been a whirlwind. You know, we we were grateful to have a product during COVID, a time that was so difficult for so many, which, you know, you have to acknowledge, but everyone was staying home and cooking. So uh, kind of took off during that time, which was really exciting. And we was already on great trajectory and it was just like, whoa. And then once the world opened back up again and, you know, I could start getting back out there, all of the usual, you know, can you come speak to this? Can you come film this? Can you come do a demo here? Can you come attend this event? And it's just been go, go, go. I, you know, I've already been to Australia twice this year for work. Uh, one at Meatstock, one doing an event called Vivid Sydney. I was in New Zealand in July filming a TV show that's going to air down there. And I'm actually um, filming my own TV show at the moment too. Are so you? I cannot say the name or the network yet, but it is literally my own tv show after all these years of you know people saying when are you gonna get one it's happening i've always i've always wondered because obviously it makes a heck of a lot of sense oh that's really cool when roughly if people are watching this around this time roughly when would this be coming out right now it's the the long term is summer next year but they may roll it before then because we're actively filming now so we're about halfway through filming how was that process for you it's really cool to be able it's the process that you're told you're never supposed to be able to have so usually the idea is if you're doing tv something's got to give so usually it's you know it's like we watch food network stuff or traditional barbecue shows and they're entertaining but there's obviously like in my opinion an element of cheese to them like you know there's never there's never a proper brisket challenge because no one can pay a crew overtime to cook through you know to film through the night like there there are production limitations but in this time in this case I'm working like I, I do production meetings I decide where we're going I decide what the shows are going to be about so it's really exciting I am so excited okay cool so this stay tuned essentially yes and you have a lot of experience like you know barbecue quest which I always called barbecue quest but it's barbecue <laughs> quest so you've done things and you and obviously you said you were filming some stuff down in uh down under down in uh, New Zealand yes. that's that's killer and I wanted to talk like what when when people ask you from back home what you do how what do you how do you describe it because it's multifaceted it's it is and so much so that i think sometimes i do myself a disservice you know when you're in it it's hard i feel like i can write anyone else like a real snappy elevator pitch bio but when it's about me i'm like i don't know i feel like i do a million things and i can't explain it you know the easiest way is live fire cook recipe developer, technically now meat scientist. I just say, you know, I, I, I've i got a barbecue brand and I, I work with a lot of companies in the live fire cooking space is effectively it. But obviously, you know, I'm filming at the moment. I'm also working with HEB, which is a big grocery store here in Texas. And every weekend for five weekends, I'm going to be driving all over to different tailgates. Like we're doing a different Texas tailgate. Each, it's crazy. Like, and I'm here and I'm there and I'm doing things and you know, I'm still trying to be home for my husband sometimes and, <laughs> and and run a business and make videos and it's crazy. Yeah, there's no sleep for you, is there? 
Not <laughs> really, think. no. For Iowa State University, because you went and got, have you finished your meat science degree? I have. I have finished. So it's it's a meat science certificate. Um, it's a graduate certificate. So, but it's it's all done. It's official. It's it's happening. It's just been. I actually finished last December. We it was just the usual. It's been so anticlimactic, Kevin, because there was a mix up with putting through the right paperwork to get the certificate. So I graduated and I've got my. I'm stoked to say I finished with like a 3.67 GPA, which nice. is an A minus for Iowa State. So I'm very proud of that. I know it's not a four. I don't care. The certificate is still on its way. I should have it literally any week, but it's going to be so weird to be like, hey, I finally got it, but I graduated last year. So, but it's done. It is done. It has been done for a while. And why was that important to you? I think for me personally, I've always wanted to contribute something in the content that I do. So it either needs to make me feel good or help somebody. So, and when I say make me feel good, I mean like it, it's amusing or it's interesting to create. I like creating recipes that work. I feel like there's probably a lot of people who have tried a lot of things, especially now where a lot of the content is about the ASMR or the visual. And if you watch it and you have any kind of like, feeling about cooking you understand that like oh that step didn't work or like they make it look like it's one stir but it's actually all this stuff had to happen Definitely. so just making sure that precision is important i if i was going to contribute to the vast vortex of information on the internet i wanted to make sure that it was right so going back to school and having a deeper understanding of meat science and the principles behind it to me, it mattered. To a lot of people, it doesn't. It, it just, it did for me. No, it makes sense. And and when we get through some of these questions, some of them revolve around what you had studied and dispelling certain myths. And, and there, it's, it's, it's interesting because there is, there's so much information on the internet and people are going down these weird rabbit holes that are probably completely wrong. But I, I, I was, just, I was proud of you for doing that. And you started doing that during COVID, right? Yes. And it was, it was hard. Like a lot of people message me and they're like, Hey, what's that course you did? I'd like to do it. And I think the more people who do it, the better, but it's not like a a community college course where anyone can sign up and do it. It's an actual university graduate course. So I had to get accepted into the college. I had to have, there was prerequisites you were supposed to have in sciences, which I didn't have. I did, my communication was all human. My degree was in communications, which is humanities when I did it back in Australia. So you do have to have a degree and then it had to be in a certain area. So I had to apply and like have people write letters on my behalf as to why those should. So it was a whole ordeal getting in, in the first place, which was a, a point of pride for me too. Yeah. So it wasn't just, yeah, it wasn't just some course that you took on like Udemy or on like master class or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. It was an actual, it's like, no, I, I went to college. It's, it's literally a college graduate yeah. course. Did you learn anything about yourself through going through this? Uh, I learned that I'm still um, a do it last minute homework girl a lot of times. <laughs> um, I, I think the most valuable thing for me that I got out of the whole class, aside from sort of a little bits of nuggets, you know, of information here and there was really learning how to read scientific journals because mm. that sets me up to be able to properly, like if new things come up, I can access this information and know how to, what I'm reading, what it means and, and the broader senses behind it. So I can effectively keep learning. No, that's good. That's, that's really important. And you've referenced things sometimes in your videos that I'm like, 
how does she know this? But I guess I'm like, oh, they, that's why she knows this. Yeah, <laughs> because <I've> <laughs> before we jump into like the meat, so to speak, of what we're, can you talk about your squirrels? My squirrels. I'm trying to see if there's any out there right now. So I guess it's been a couple of years now. I started putting food out for the squirrels. We don't have squirrels in Australia, or certainly not like this. And most Australians think that they're adorable because they're, objectively they are a cute animal kind of like people are obsessed with capybara or dogs and then there are other animals that are not as cute you know like turkeys are not a cute animal you know so but squirrels are cute even if they're rats with tails their tails are, are, are bushy and glorious and they mm -hmm. have pretty little eyes and blah 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 and they're just funny little creatures to watch and i would put food out for them and and my husband built me a mini picnic table and effectively, it ended up that they now are at a stage where they can come to the door and wait at the door for me to give them like a, a hazelnut or a peanut or something like that. And my collection of squirrel paraphernalia has grown over the years. I haven't bought any of it, but Pits and Spits sent me a mini working offset. Which is pit really cool. Uh, my husband got me a, he worked with Academy to get a demo, like the mini uh, in-store display tents. So that's sitting out there right now. There's a little Adirondack chair. There's a little grill. So there's a, they just bring me joy when you're absolutely eyeballs deep in the computer and email mm -hmm. and you just look over and there's this little squirrel just being like, hey, <laughs> hey, just eating. Yeah, they, And also too, they do little things with their hands. It's, yeah, because I have. They're like, incredibly that's... dexterous. If you actually watch them, mm -hmm. it's it's pretty interesting to just to, to see it's nearly like you know when when you start deer hunting you end up learning so much about deer and their behaviors and when you you know when they're going to walk you know where they get when they're going to stay you know when you need to be quiet it's just about studying any animal it's interesting let's jump on to your project with HEB and the sausages because I'm so happy you're doing this as soon as I saw it it made my heart feel so great because number one I love sausage and when i was in in texas i was so surprised by the offerings of sausage to go from places that i'd never we don't have that here in california so how did this come about how long has this been in the works and tell us let's talk about each, each flavor we certainly don't have it in australia either but it's a it's a category here in texas that's very beloved uh in fact the number one way to eat a smoked sausage in texas is simply to wrap it in a tortilla which feels like a very there's an Australian uh, tradition of what we call a sausage sizzle, where you just have a flat top grill and the cheapest grocery store sausages, and you get a piece of white bread and the sausage is loaded into that white bread and that's all you get, you know, maybe some ketchup or brown barbecue sauce. Basically it came about, you know, I had an opportunity to work with HEB. I've already done a lot of stuff making videos for them. And this was like a, hey, they're like, yeah, if you if you offer us exclusivity on something, we think it would be really cool to work with you. And we started, I, I'd met Standard Meat, which is this great company up mm -hmm. in Fort Worth. If you've ever been to A&M campus and you see it's the Rosenthal Meat Science Center, this is the Rosenthal family. They have Standard Meat in Fort Worth. And it's just like all these stars aligned to bring this project to market. And, I, and for two years, we worked on packaging, formula, flavors, consistency, snap, testing, testing consistency of, of packaging. It would, you know, 
artwork, arguing with USDA about what I could put on the label versus their archaic laws and finally brought it to market. So we have four flavors. Two of them are classic Texas flavors, uh, beef, all beef with brisket in it and cheddar jalapeno. Two of them a little more unusual, but they are real hardwood smoked, which the facility hadn't done before. They'd just been using liquid smoke. So we sort of kept wow. pushing them to do that. And and they have a great snap to them. And I'd like to think it's as good as anything you could get at a great barbecue joint here in, in Texas. That's awesome. And you have prime rib. I never, I, I get so genius. And I, and I talk to a lot of craft sausage makers and I, and there are a lot of funky things people are doing, but prime rib, I've never heard people, is that something, how did you come up with that idea? I knew that I wanted to put actual brisket in the beef sausage. Like I wanted to do something around whole muscle and that idea of calling out like, Hey, this actually has just like when we choose our ground beef. And so that, so they actually suggested like, Hey, what if we do something with prime rib? And then the flavor is very like an herby prime rib kind of roast flavor um but it has actual prime rib in it so it just it's just a natural extension for it to be a hardcore carnivore sausage you know it makes all the sense that's really really cool no i'm i'm just i it's joyful to, to prime ribs one of my favorite things on the entire planet it's just <laughs> there's something how could it not be right yeah it's yeah prime rib then you also have a uh, tex-mex right yes we have tex-mex so uh which is basically just you know, it's got taco seasoning throughout and also jalapeno particulate. So it's just a great, it just kind of screams Texas-y flavors to me. How does one, if that one doesn't know, if they buy it and then they could only buy it at HEB and then if- You then can they- only get it at HEB and unfortunately they don't ship. And, you know, I knew going into it that we have a very global audience, but this is very specific, but I think it's about anything, you know, where we don't make products just to try and scale them um it's the reason we're not in walmart we've said no to them three times we're trying to make great products that scale at at a rate that we can rely on the consistency and it's the same with the sausage you could only produce you know there's different sizes of of producers and generally the bigger they are the more homogenized it kind of gets so I like to say to people, yes, it's only available in Texas at HEB, but it's a great excuse to come visit Texas. Without a doubt. And then also, too, I was wondering just do how to reheat it. Do you heat it in the oven at a certain temp or how, what's the best? What are you on the grill? What's your recommendation for people? I, I think it tastes best on the grill because it just it, it, it's something it, they're in natural casing. So they get this wonderful texture on the outside. But usually if I were going to do them at home, I'd actually just pop them into a skillet with a little bit of water at the bottom and just kind of keep turning them. And then as that water boils off, it, it allows the sausages to heat a little more thoroughly. And then once it boils off, you can just work on just getting a little bit of color on the skin and they're, they're ready to go. I mean, they're fully cooked. So really you could eat them raw if you wanted to. I mean, not raw, cold if you cold. wanted to. <laughs> cold if you wanted. And they're right, right now they're currently six seventy five for a pack. Yes, they are. I think, yeah, yes. I think that's what I saw when I was looking online trying to order. Quite possible. But also too, you know, they prices do change for things. So if you're watching this in a year from now, they might not be six seventy five. They could be, you know, who knows? But what. they're in, they're in the six dollar region for four. That's great. And, and I think that's a great price. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the scale. That's that's what's nice to be able to partner with someone like HEB. And I want to jump to your seasonings next, but also, what was that like when you first saw them in a store? It was wild. It was just. You know, sometimes you, 
often as a business owner, I find myself having imposter syndrome or just you hustle on so many projects that once something is done, it can sometimes nearly feel underwhelming and you're ready to move to the next one, just constantly searching for that high. It's crazy, but yeah, that's sometimes how it's like. I spoke to Billy Journey about that once. You know, he, he's got a million projects always on the go and it, yeah. it it's kind of always this search. But because this was such a different project on such a different scale, I it was really neat to see. Like, it was a very cool moment yeah. uh, when I finally got to see it in the grocery store. I think when sometimes when you achieve a goal, the feeling that you have after you see it is different than the feeling that you thought you were going to have or yes. what. It, so it's such like, it's not a letdown. It's just psychologically, it's a weird thing. Like it's, I don't know. I, I sometimes feel I, accomplished it, I think the best way you can equate it is it's like if you are the one cooking dinner and you're nibbling at dinner while you're going. And then by the time you sit down, you don't have an appetite and everyone's like, why this looks amazing. And you've been working on it for so long that often by the time it comes to fruition, it just has that aspect to it of, I know it looks good and it tastes good and it smells good, but I'm over it. You know, that's great. No, that's a great way to describe it. That's exactly how it feels. Okay, cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, now, you bet. <laughs> thank you goodbye no i'm joking um now you have you have eight seasons now one two three four five six seven. we have eight and a holiday uh our fried turkey comes out every year on the holidays okay okay <laughs> good I, I was gonna kind of rapid fire go through each one and kind of like your okay. ideal pairing or your I'd ideal ideal use for each one uh okay. the red the red red is our all purpose so i use it mainly on chicken and pork but anytime where you just need a neutral seasonal that's what i'm going for red okay and then the black black is the beef master black is on any steak any brisket any beef ribs any any red meat venison axis backstrap it's it's going black amplify amplify is our redheaded stepchild but it's such a phenomenal rub and it's like got a cult following it's if you know you know so it is a weird it's not a rub it's like a it's, it's like a powder so it's made with chicken fat powder and other umami flavors like soy non-gluten soy and the idea is that it, it tastes nearly like the packets of cheese you get in mac and cheese but it's, it's got no cheese in it. So a lot of people taste it and their first thought is, oh, this should go on popcorn. Hmm. I use it anytime. Like I'll put it on roasted broccoli. Anytime I'm doing anything that involves like a cream cheese dip or filling, I'll put Amplify in it. It just boosts, it's really like a chicken bouillon, but on steroids. Oh, interesting. It boosts flavor, which is why we call it Amplify. Okay, because I haven't tried that one. So, and also too, you can order... I'll, you can like I'll, I'll order everything, but also too, you have like a mega pack, I think. Is the, like, the yeah, right. we have a couple of bundles that, that yeah. are a better value if you wanted to try a couple for sure. Definitely. Okay. Uh, the chili lime. Chili lime is pretty simple. It's got a lot of earthy chilies. It used to be called michelada, which confused a lot of people. It was a very clever name if you know what a michelada is, but I've learned over the years, keeping things simple is wonderful when it comes to labeling products. It's just lovely earthy chilies, real lime juice, bright pops of lime. I use it in guacamole. I put it straight onto watermelon and cucumber, like mm. for a fresh kind of snack. Um, shrimp on the grill, 100% chili lime. And the rim of your margarita too. I was going to ask, because the rim of 
Heck yeah. You beat me to it. The camo. Camo, I developed for wild game and lamb. I absolutely love it on lamb. I know a lot of people actually like it on pork. I use it on quail. I use it on dove. Uh, lamb ribs, if I'm doing lamb ribs, just get a healthy dose. It's our most unusual blend. So it's got a lot of really fragrant spices like allspice and coriander seed. It's kind of inspired by South African biltong, but it, and if I'm making jerky at home, I'll usually use camera. Tex-Mex sort of makes sense as to what that would be used for. Yeah, Tex-Mex is a, is a, you know, I call it a taco fajita seasoning. So anything that you want to have a Tex-Mexy flavor to it, you know, if you were going to make a taco salad with chicken, you'd put it on the chicken or, you know, in, in again, in the guacamole, something like that. If I make skirt steak for fajitas, I'm using Tex-Mex. Texas jalapeno salt? Jalapeno salt is a good one. It is a salt. It is very salty. So it's salt forward. It's basically salt for people who like spice. So it's got a few other fragrant things in there like onion, garlic, and a lot of jalapeno powder. But if you like things hot, I, I would just use a dash of that instead of salt. Oh, cool. Okay. And then the last one, the sweet barbecue rub. Sweet barbecue is our more traditional, like sugar heavy rub that you would use on ribs and pork butts. It's sort of like it starts its footprint in the red all purpose and then goes to a much sweeter place. Did you envision it growing this large? Like it's amazing. That's which one no, was but now I've got a million ideas for all the flavors that I want to come out with, you know? Which one's the most popular? I mean, black is still by far our bestseller. It was our first one. It's our most unique one. If any one of your listeners have ever bought a bottle of rub that has activated charcoal in it, it's because of black. I can say that emphatically. And if you haven't tried it, that's the OG. And there's a reason that we're still in business because it's one thing to look good. It's a whole other thing to taste good. And where else can you find it other than your website? So it's at, it's also at HEB stores. It's nationally available at Bucky's Academy, Bass Pro and Cabela's stores, select Bass Pro Cabela's have it. A lot of great independent grill stores and butcher shops around the States. On hardcorecarnival.com, we've got a dealer locator where you can find oh, where it is to you. And we're in lots of other countries around the world too. That's amazing. That's a, I'm so happy to see that grow too, because, you know, I've, I think I bought the back three times and I bought a number of, but it's just interesting to see that growth from afar. And I'm proud of you. Good job, Jess. That's, Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's great. And then I wanted to talk about, because I didn't, I didn't know about these or didn't pay much attention until Kelly Yandel continued to post stuff about the disposable cutting boards. And those are great. They're amazing. Can you talk about those? Yeah, I worked with our paper manufacturer to bring those to market. I wanted to bring out one that had a grid on it, especially for competition barbecue where they, I mean, I'm not involved in comp barbecue anymore, but I was a lot. I, you know, founded the Australasian Barbecue Alliance and did a lot of judging. And that even if you're scaling fish, quite frankly, that idea of having the grid on them and oh. And large format, really the idea came because sort of rooted in that food safety meat science area. A lot of the times when we go to season a big format piece of meat, uh, we can't fit those chopping boards in our dishwashers at home. And it's hard to effectively sanitize them by hand. You know, a lot of these guys, these barbecue joints have these giant tubs of seasoning. They're going, going again, but then it gets run through this massive dishwasher at this super high heat that sanitizes everything. So I love that idea of, having it large format they're 18 by 24 inches so a couple racks of ribs full brisket on there no worries 
And the cleanup is right there to make sure that you're staying food safe and not cross-contaminating. The packets are what, 30 in a pack? Is that what it is? Yeah, there's 30 in a pack. It ends up being about a buck per board, which again, considering your time. Yeah. that's what yeah no that's great and it's something that i've never seen and then also i've asked a number of people and they've they've randomly given me answers but about the the heat gloves those are important they're they're more important than i think people realize yeah the high heat gloves they're an aramid netting so the idea is it's not necessarily for handling like the meat itself because it's cloth and fabric but you know, the amount of times that I've gone to pick up a chimney and they can call that handle pull touch all at once, like a charcoal chimney. I won't pick it up without those tongs. If you need to move grates actively, you mm-hmm. start without those gloves, you use those gloves. You know, honestly, they can even be used in place of oven gloves. So even I, I literally took a casserole out the other day and was wearing them. Uh, and we actually just launched nitrile gloves. I haven't really said much about that. That was a real soft launch, but we just released our own hardcore kind of on nitrile gloves that are five mil thick and fully textured. Uh, oh. Nitrile gloves aren't nitrile gloves. There's different, you know, the ones that you put on and bust straight away. So these ones have like a pebble style texture over the whole glove. Oh. So it helps you grip a little better, which is especially important when you're slicing and there's brisket grease everywhere and they're really nice and thick. So they're on our website now too. Yeah. And I think they, when I was looking there right next to the high heat gloves, it was, uh, or at least, oh. <laughs> wherever wherever I was looking at that time it was and that's also too because I think that you can have um, pot holders and different but it's also nice to have the ability that to use your fingers and to use you know it's I, I it makes I, you feel more dexterous and the thing that dexterous. I don't like with pot holders especially for you know especially if you're getting kids involved as well like you know, I always felt now I'm obviously much more confident, I would hope, around high heat. Yeah. But that idea that if you moved your hand just so and it was outside of the pot holder and you could still get burnt, but mm-hmm. there's no way that you can burn when you have a fully protected protected. And I also want to, I've never mentioned this on the show or anywhere, but if you're holding a wet towel, never grab something hot because... It it rage it, it conducts heat because I one time I took a I was in culinary school and I grabbed or like a pot like a roast out of an oven and I had a two wet towels and I grabbed it and I got third degree burns. Oh my, my god! My I head. didn't even know that. I'm glad you said something. That's crazy. And I was, but I was so because our teacher kept saying this is three hundred dollars and three hundred. I was so scared to drop this because yeah. I didn't want in front of the whole. So I did it. And then she's like, you should have just, I'm like, okay, well, thanks. But it did. Yeah, thanks it for nothing. But yeah, if you're ever, were, if you ever, like, anybody who's listening or watching, if you have wet towels, do not grab anything hot, any hot pans, anything, because Crazy. it will burn, it will come through and it will burn you worse than you would have thought. Uh, what, what makes the barbecue world special to you? It's nearly like a ragtag group of pirates, you know, not quite chefs. It's hard work making barbecue for a living. It's dirty. It's long hours. It's, cumbersome it's heavy but there's this incredible sense of community and everyone wants to share recipes and everyone wants to aim for the perfect brisket so it's like finding a community what do you miss most about australia the first answer has to be my family because everyone is still there except for obviously my husband who's a texan the food i miss and there's an easygoing way of life there that you know you get reminded the older i get the easier it is when i go back to australia Cause it's just mm. like, Oh, I'm amongst like-minded. There are familiar things that just make 
make things easy and it's a great easygoing sense of humor as well i've always wanted to go and it, it's it's on my bucket list but it, and then you you hadn't gone what was it like going back after all that because you was it three years that you didn't go it was two years yeah because they had mandatory hotel isolation right. and you didn't choose the hotel and it was literally in the room for two weeks so during that period i didn't go home uh, and I didn't see my family for two years. And then once they lifted that and I went back for the first time, it was really emotional. It was like, I, you never, I never thought that I would be prevented from seeing my family mm -hmm. beyond maybe like economic means or time constraints, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but it was, you know, everyone was happy and healthy. So it's a distant memory now. And I'd like yeah. to keep it that way. Yeah, let's keep I'm sorry for bringing it up. No, now. you're right. <laughs> what an asshole um they uh do you do you have a they you, you had a video on a butcher it was like victor something a butcher shop in australia or no or was it in australia but what's yeah, your favorite do you talk about that and then also your favorite butcher shop in texas or in austin yeah um victor churchill's run, a friend of mine anthony paharich he he started the concept of victor churchill with his father in Sydney, and this was his Melbourne store that he opened, and it's basically like a Louis Vuitton boutique of meat. Like he acknowledged that he he understands the meat world and the butchery world, but he just went after a very certain audience um, and catered to them. And the whole like it's black marble floors, and you stand at these display cases, and and the the people come and help you and stand next to you instead of behind the case, and you look at all this stuff together and the butchers stand behind glass on these, you know, floor to waist height um, cutting blocks. And it's my most viral video that I've ever posted. Uh, Cause I just think, yeah, it was quite, it's polarizing to some people, but it was an incredible experience. I think if you're a meat nerd, you can oh. appreciate, you know, walking into a, a, a small joint at the back of the gas station that's making chicken fried steak and you can also appreciate walking into an incredible butcher boutique yeah it was like look like Willy Wonka it was it was just so or it was it was something out of yeah a, a movie or a book it was so beautiful yeah it's gorgeous it's really beautiful and I just want I'll, I'll put a link to that below not that I won't put links to a thousand other things but that yeah. is really phenomenal it's somewhere it's, it's a must it's a bucket list place for a lot of people i'm sure after they watch this and for me it is so i thank you for sharing that and it was also, a great it, they, they also have a food counter in there really unusually and it was a great meal so I do recommend i think i one of the comments who someone said that they have a book too maybe they have a i think they might have yeah so anthony baharich i've got it somewhere i don't know where it is he's got a massive massive book called meat just meat and in fact he was working with anthony bourdain on opening a butcher shop in New York when oh. when Bourdain passed away but I think Anthony Bourdain might have even done the forward for the book or he's been involved in okay. it in some way so I'll look into it I'll buy it that's something that I definitely want to have I think I've bought many books because of recommendations from you I think Kenji's book is the one of the first recommendations that you oh yeah the food lab that's excellent yeah yeah that was I bought that like the day I, I spoke with you um and then favorite butcher shop do you have a favorite butcher shop in Austin or I do I I you know Salt and Time is a wonderful independent butcher shop here in Austin I actually had my cookbook launched there way back when but I I get most of my meat at ATB honestly they have a great program where they work with they a do. lot of uh, Texas butch, uh, Texas ranches uh, and meat companies directly as well. So that's that's generally where where I'll get things from. All these places are, tr are trustworthy, and then there's 
there's, you know, the USDA grading system is is an independent third party grading, so you can't fake it. But I, for me personally, I need to be able to find the cuts that I need when I go in. And sometimes in the smaller butcher shops, you know, they might be sold out. They might not be able to have as big of a range because the limitations, like that's a lot of money out there in the case. Oh, yeah. But for other people, you know, like especially people who shop at farmer's markets, salt and time have a lot of like hyper-local, like very local to the region, pork, beef, they break down the whole animals themselves. So if your idea is local for eating and you don't mind like having your butcher suggest different cuts because you don't need that exact cut, like that's the right store for you. So mm -hmm. it's a very broad spectrum. Um, I, I mean, farmer's market, I couldn't say it any better than that. You know, sometimes if you want to follow a recipe exactly, you want to go to the grocery store. And if the mangoes are coming from Argentina, because that's the only place that, that they're growing right now and you need mangoes, so be it. But if you're the type of person that wants to just show up to the farmer's market and be like, I don't know what I'm going to cook, but it just depends on what the produce looks like, then yeah. just different eating. That's definitely no, that. That's interesting. That makes sense, and it's seasonal. And there's, yeah, I, I guess it also too depends on your mindset and your life and what yeah. you're dealing with. And yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, uh, can you talk about your knife roll and maca? It's a maca. You say ma You said it. Oh, maca. Maca. Uh, yeah, maca knives. He made me a knife roll when I was in Australia. He's made a lot of people like who've gone down for meat stock and stuff knife rolls, um, and he does big leather aprons and things like that. And he knew, like, he used to make. He, his traditional knife roll is a very big, thick, solid, it's got a, a handle on it, like a big ass fucking knife roll. And every time I would see him, I'm like, he'd be like, let me make you a knife roll. I'm like, Maca, they're beautiful, but I absolutely would not use that. Like, I don't have enough room. <laughs> it just was really chunky. But a lot of dudes like that. I'm not that person. And so last time I was in Australia in March for meat stock, he's like, I have a surprise for you. And he'd made me, I've uh, explained to him the type of one that I used and he'd made me this one that's very low profile. It just has a single flap that comes down over the blades and you roll it all up together rather than it being more structured. And it's made out of beautiful, he's out, he's in Tasmania, which is also an incredible part of the world with great produce and food and uh, national parks and stuff like that. And he just makes great stuff. Can you talk about meat grading and some of the myths about that and questions? And because you, you have a great video about a Las Vegas place too that was. You know. <laughs> I think that was in. I think that was in Chicago, maybe. But oh, was that Chicago? Okay, I thought it was like some place oh, yeah. in Las Vegas. Um, oh, but Las Vegas ish. You know, I think that we just touched on it, Kevin. Like when you said, like, oh, you can trust the grading. A lot of people don't know that grading is done. Uh, by a USDA inspector. So he's an independent inspector. So let's just say that, you know, Kevin's meat plant, you know, and you're you're doing all this meat processing and harvesting and you want to be able to sell prime beef because you're going to make more money for it, right? Yeah. So it would make sense that you would want to stamp everything prime, but then we couldn't trust you because why would you just not tell us that everything's prime? So you have to pay if you want grading for this independent USDA inspector to come in and grade all of your carcasses that are coming through. And that's why you can trust the grading because USDA doesn't have skin in the game. They're just grading it and calling it for what they're seeing it. So they make a cut between the 12th and 13th rib. 
to and the whole animal is braided just by looking at one slice of ribeye which is kind of crazy because it's not always consistent and that's why sometimes you can find things that are graded choice like especially out of these shoulder cuts like a great denver steak or a great flat iron that's mm -hmm. incredibly marbled and probably should be prime technically but it's graded as choice so there's great ways to find bargains within choice if you just mm. look visually for the marbling and it's also expensive to braid so there's two ways of thinking about it you know on the one hand like a small town meat market doing processing probably doesn't have a grader so they're just usda inspected so you don't have to grade but you have to be inspected so everyone has to come up to code on what the inspection should be but you don't have to have grading there's a squirrel at my door right now I'm also babysitting barbecue royalty. This is Star Leroy of Leroy and Lewis fame. Oh. Hey, Star. And hey, she's Star. not happy with the squirrels because she wants to eat them all. I get to babysit Star. I actually lived with Evan and Lindsay for a month when I first moved to the States. So our dogs live together and oh. we consider them like sisters now. So oh, I didn't know that. Okay, cool. That's Yeah. Um, bit of a segue, but all that to say that, you know, then you've got something like Snake River Farms that call a black and gold grade. Well, they don't grade at all. That's their grade that they came up with. But, but why it works is they're, they're obviously across Wagyu products. So everything in theirs is going to be a minimum standard. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I could turn around and open my own meat processing plan and call things like, you know, champion grade, emperor grade, whatever, and do it myself. But that's not a USDA grade. But then would, would there also be a USDA prime on it too? Like it would be both? Is that how it would be? Like it'd be emperor grade, but in parentheses or something, USDA prime? No, or? I mean, you know, so I, you could call it, so I don't actually, so I don't know if they call it black grade and gold grade. I think that they. Let's have a name. Yeah, but uh, what I'm saying is if I didn't want to pay for a USDA inspector because it's very expensive, I could just say this is, you know, here are our three levels and gotcha. I, I'm just, you know, pink, blue, and purple. <laughs> purple is the best grade, you know, like yeah, no, it doesn't mean anything. There's an aspect of meat sales and marketing that is just marketing, like, like grass fed. It, mm. There's a difference between grass fed and grass finished. Most of every cattle um, that started life in a cow. So all, all animals pretty much start, start life in a cow calf operation. So ranchers that just raise the moms to get pregnant and put calves on the ground and then the calves eventually go to feedlots and, and so forth and the cycle keeps going. I mean, they're on grass at some stage of their life. It's just, do they only eat grass the whole way through? So that would be called grass finished. And I guess the biggest confusing marketing term in meat is probably all natural, which doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. But there's no formal specification. There's a formal specification for calling something organic. There's also a formal specification. They're working on like the whole idea of uncured bacon. They're, they're currently rewriting the limits for that because uncured bacon is technically cured. It's just cured using celery seed or cherry, just not nitrates. That's so funny. Now, it's a lower amount of cure, but it's a cure nonetheless. Is, is there, so what's, it's, this might be a, a question that you might not be able to answer in two seconds, but is there a different, what's the difference between prime and choice then for people that are going 
to the market or butcher shop? The main driver of braid is the size of the eye. Um, so like yield, but mainly we look for marbling, fat cap marbling, intramuscular, intramuscular marbling. So the more marbling, the more tender, the more juicy, the more flavorful fat is the people for flavor in meat. So yeah. prime has more marbling than choice. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And I love fat. I, I grew up eating the fat, like around the fat cat, like around prime rib. My dad, like my dad just taught me to love fat, which is just what a that. gift. What a gift. And I, <laughs> he's been gone 14 years, but that's what, something that always sticks with me. Uh, what's your favorite cut right now? Or would you have a, a favorite cut of meat that you're? Yeah. I mean, a big lean. top sirloin picanha phase. Why is that? That's I love the texture. I love the meatiness to it. Uh, I think it has more flavor than a lot of other cuts. I, I just, I'm really enjoying it probably texturally more than anything. And are you cooking, are you smoking that? Are you cooking that on? I usually grill it. I usually grill, like do a real hard sear or grill. You know, I love a, a just keep flipping sear moment. So real, real aggressive sear, a lot of Maillard on the outside, like really aggressively rendered fat. I love that so much because I know you're into game a lot and I know I'm not, but this, because I'm not around it and I'm not, is there a gateway game item that people can try like to get them to the, because I don't eat dove. I don't eat you know, quail. Yeah. Or... I mean, dove and quail are kind of, you can buy quail easily. Um, mm -hmm. you, I've seen you it. can't really buy dove. Quail is a great place to start to, to, to sort of get a taste for game birds, but farm raised quail tastes very differently to wild quail. I would say you can get venison. Most of the venison in the U.S. is going to be imported from New Zealand, actually, oh. um, because they have so much of it and they they process it in a, in a certain way and to be safe because you can't actually sell hunted meat here. There's a few facilities, like I think it's called Broken Arrow Ranch here in Texas that do harvest gay meat, but mm. they have a special way that they have to do it. So I think, you know, get, you can buy venison. I would give it a shot. You can also buy ground elk is pretty readily available. And it, it, it it's a very good gateway meat because it's not too gamey. Because a lot of people probably are interested. I think buffalo is available, but buffalo. Oh yeah, bison. Bison tastes just like beef. That's wonderful. But it technically comes under a wild food. So it's got different processing requirements or a wild game. But honestly, anything that you can buy as a consumer is going to be less gamey than stuff that you hunt because it's much more controlled as to where the animal is, how it lived, how it died. There's a lot more unknowns that can contribute to gaminess in yeah. the outdoors. What does dove taste like? Chicken? Uh, no, it tastes like it. It tastes. Have you had quail? I've had quail, yeah. So it's like it's like a more umami-ish quail because it's dark meat, so it's dark red colored, not that white black color. I grew up eating steak tartare, and then I I stopped for a while just because I wasn't sure if it was okay. Can you dispel some myths about steak tartare or raw meat? Yeah, raw? I mean. Oh the idea is that any whole muscle is effectively sterile on the inside and any bacteria is going to be on the outside. So when you sear a steak, you're uh, sterilizing the outside. And then you, as you cut into it and eat it, it's effectively safe to eat. But when you run meat through a grinder, it's, it's, there's a time chart, right? So if you can make your own steak tartare and do it, do it fresh, you're in a good spot because that time for bacteria to develop and multiply which is going to increase your chances of getting sick is uh, much less. So that's why they say reputable restaurants where they're going to be doing that and not 
making a big batch of it that morning and leaving it, which is no bueno. <laughs> okay. All right. That makes sense. I And this is something, I don't know if you want to touch on this. Throughout your career, there's been negativity, negativity and sexism and weird comments and strange things. Do you want to? No, I mean, I can't, like, I, I would say on the whole, I haven't experienced a lot of roadblocks for being a woman in a very male-dominated industry. I've been very supported, but I've also sort of make it, made it my business to talk the talk and walk the walk. You know, like, that's why education was important to me. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing. And uh, I can back, you know, I can back my shit up, basically. Because... There, there's a whole thing of image that comes into it, you know. If, if you're thinking about it from a marketing standpoint, it's a really, it's a really deep rabbit's hole. You could argue that most people would trust a healthily robust, overweight pitmaster. Um, you know, they want their pitmasters to look like big guys. You know, that's why Sam Jones struggles. He's, he's, he's a, he's a skinny guy. Um, yeah. But. You know, uh, when we look at people like, and, and I hate to say it because I don't think this about him, but you look at someone like Malcolm Reed, who's such a character with his physical big presence and his great sudden drawl. And, and I think that arguably that would help him as much as someone might say, well, you know, you're easy on the eyes. Maybe people tune into you because of how you look. And I would say that whether you say it about Malcolm or myself, at the end of the day, people stay tuned in because of what we're doing and, and the knowledge that we're imparting and sharing. I think the hardest thing to navigate at the moment, and I spoke about this with a friend yesterday, um, her name is Brianna Stark and she's married to barbecue and very, very, very successful on a lot of platforms. Mm -hmm. And there's a thing that's happening now with digital creators that's a very bro space and you know, I might explain this to you and it might be difficult for either yourself or your listeners to understand. It's one of those things that until, unless you're the woman in the spot, it's very difficult to understand, but it can be very difficult for us to resonate with a lot of bro language and behavior that is happening online right now. And what that might look like is that shit is straight fire, brah. Yeah, brah, crushing it, dude. Like, if you look at a lot of the comments creators leave for other creators, it is very bro locker room adjacent, and that's not how women speak. And it can be very difficult for us to weigh in. On the other hand, you know, we have to work harder on not being, being alienated or alienating ourselves to our audience. So I'm like, I'm not going to write, yes, queen, these ribs were fire, but it's not outside of my wheelhouse to say something like that, you know? So having the digital marketing language conversation can be difficult. I think these days as a woman and it's so subtle, but it makes such a big difference. Like mm -hmm. I just don't talk like that. I'm not like, bro, it's got the vibes, like mm -hmm. straight vibing. And you know what I'm talking about. Cause if you look at these comments, that's what you see. No, I know exactly what you're saying. It's saying and it's also sad because that's not who I am either and it's just so it it's it's a different world it's 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 weird if you empower trolls by by responding they just want a, a lot of times people just want a response and yeah. I found myself I've had to hold back because it, it's it's just a not like the you know the, the social media and the the internet world it's a it's it's a weird thing and i think that there's there's probably been some negativity that you've had to bite your tongue because 
and sexism that you've had to, you know, and then other times I've seen you just come straight at people and it's, I don't know. I wonder how you navigate that. I think, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a very forward person. I cuss a lot in real life and I'm trying to find a more accurate balance of my personality, but you know, you do have to be slightly more cautious being online in, in stories you're telling. So I never go for people in the comments cause that's not worth my time anymore, yeah. but I don't mind sort of being a bit more humorous and real when, when I make like a correction video on meat science, you know? Yeah. yeah. Those are fun. <laughs> I'm, sure you, I'm sure you enjoyed it. Do you think that Austin will always be your home? For the foreseeable future, for sure. I think Texas will be, maybe it won't be Austin because it's just growing so big, but. Mm -hmm. Who's had the most influence on you barbecue wise or business wise, or is there someone that's really a mentor that you could speak to? Billy Durney's been a big mentor to me, just kind of guiding me along, navigating so many areas of like relationship building and how you present yourself and how, you know, bigger picture stuff. So that's been really valuable. John Miller, as much as he was a complete asshole, he taught me how to cook. So you got to give credit where credit's due. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot about barbecuing from him. And there's probably a bunch of people that help me every day that I'm totally forgetting, but a lot of it is just self-propelling too. You're determined. There's a lot of determination, a lot of grit, a lot of determination. What's your favorite movie or what's a go-to? Is there something that you could watch over and over and over again? Probably Super Troopers. That's my sense of humor. I haven't seen that in so long. That, that so <laughs> Music-wise, what do you listen to? Either country or sometimes like heavy metal, like Metallica, Pantera, ACDC, Poison, Warren, Motley Crue. <laughs> I love that. So is there something that people don't know about you that you might want to share? I don't know if I want to share it, but my weird anomaly is that I like vegetarian pizza. It's so, it's so fucking weird and it doesn't make any sense because usually a meal is not a meal to me if it doesn't have meat, but I just. What would you consider a vegetarian pizza? Pizza with. Olives, mushrooms, bell peppers, pineapple, um, cheese, and onion. Okay. That's my pizza order. Great way to end this. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I think this is the third time we've chatted on this. Yeah, way. I appreciate it. I always have the, a great time. And, you know, just a shout out to you for a second. You know, there's a lot of people running podcasts and channels and they get on and they ask you the same questions and it's so nice. And I think for your listeners, hopefully to, to have someone deep dive and actually do research, actually ask interesting questions where the answers aren't going to be anywhere else. Um, and then obviously put all the link work that you do too. So thank you. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. It's uh, sometimes I think I'm like shouting into a tunnel that I don't, you know, you know like, how that feels. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like there's like, I could see the reaction or the views or whatever, but it's like, you know, sometimes it's when people write me and, and then I write them back, they're surprised. Like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you. And I'm like, no, I really appreciate you saying that like, because sometimes People will use, you know, these like the pit, the ones I interview pit builders, they'll actually buy pits from people. And I'm like, that makes me happy because these yeah. people need business and I'm just trying to help all I can and can't wait to hit the road. I can't wait to be, meet you in person one of these days. Someday. That would be awesome. <laughs> all right. Well, take care. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. Have a great day. Thank you again. Thank you. Bye. Bye.